Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Welcome to the Curve Beam Connect podcast, where we give you a look into how our solutions are changing medicine. I'm your host, Vinti Singh, Marketing Director here at Curvebeam. This episode, I am talking with Dr. Ali Reza Kosarabadi, DPN. He was fellowship trained at the Rubin Institute for Advanced Orthopedics in Baltimore. His minimally invasive bunion procedure has been featured on The Doctor's Show. He sold his podiatry practice two years ago and now solely focuses on surgical procedures at the Kosrabadi Institute and Surgery Center in Greater Los Angeles. Dr. Kosrabadi has developed and specializes in Amy, a minimally invasive bunion procedure, as well as limb lengthening. Welcome, Dr. Kosrabadi. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, you guys making this call available. Absolutely. So let's just dive right into uh, the primary differentiator of your practice, your minimally invasive bunion procedure. So AMI or AMI, can you explain to us what does that stand for? So yeah, that term AMI have trademarked that it's, uh, it's basically an acronyms for advanced minimally invasive. Uh, I've started doing minimally invasive foot surgery um, about six years ago, uh, which started with a uh, bunionectomy. This is a procedure that was similar to this procedure, was very common in Europe. I read a couple of articles and I started doing it and I started basically modifying it. I um, have performed it and uh, found some issues with it at the beginning about five, six years ago. And, just continue modifying it. And now for the past two, three years, it's been the same procedure. I haven't really um, changed anything. But the reason I trademarked this name was that I've seen uh, in the industry and now everyone starting to basically use the the term minimally invasive, very, how would I say, regularly, loosely (laughs) loosely and regularly. And I, I feel like there um, there are even surgeons who are performing the same procedure. They're just making a smaller incision, meaning like same procedure as traditional bunion surgery, and they're just making a incision slightly smaller or trying to hide the incision on the side of the toe, and they call it minimally invasive, which is uh, fine. But I think the patients needs to know that there is a huge difference between a true minimally invasive bunion procedure and just a smaller incision uh, bunion procedure, which is technically a regular traditional bunion surgery. So that's why I started looking for a name and I said, what what would be a good term and name to uh, name my procedure? So I came up with the Amy bunion procedure, which stands for advanced minimally invasive. Could you maybe go into a little bit more detail about your approach? Uh, where exactly are you making the incision and what is the exact correction that you're performing? So my incisions are basically three small stab incisions. I and mean, when I talk about stab incision, the word literally one suture can close it, just one stitch. So uh, one directly medial or just proximal to the uh, bunion, uh, basically curvature, or the, we call it the medial eminence, just proximal to that. And the second incision is uh, slightly proximal to that, which is basically um, an incision that's slightly 
proximal to the first incision. That's just purely to uh, have uh, access to put the screw and the pin that I use. So those are those two incisions are on the medial aspect of the first metatarsal, and the third incision, which I ninety percent of the time perform that third incision, would be a incision in the first interspace where I do an adductor release. And um, like I said, 90% of the, my patients do get the adductor release. I feel like that's the key to prevent the bunion from coming back. Most of the patients who have bunion, uh, whether it's moderate or severe, uh, they have a very tight adductor tendon, even though you're correcting the bunion, I feel like they, that needs to be released to bring the toe in alignment with the joint. So three small incisions and they're all basically are closed with one stitch. Uh, and uh, that basically, there is nothing that I take out from the foot that I, that's the way I explain it to my patients. That's the biggest difference between minimally invasive and non-minimally invasive is that mm -hmm. I'm not taking anything out of your foot. Traditionally, we would go and shave or cut the medial eminence and remove that. I have found that that's not necessarily at all. Um, once you realign the, the joint, your the the medial eminence becomes aligned, and there is no need. Maybe I want to say in two percent of the patient, there is an excessive amount of bone over there that I could still shave through these incisions. But for the most part, I want to say ninety-eight percent of the patient, I don't have to shave that medial eminence or cut it out. The best way I can describe it is if you have a bow-legged uh, condition, mm -hmm. when you go to an orthopedic surgeon, they 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 straighten out your legs. They don't cut the side of your knee out, even though it's sticking out because you're bow-legged. They just realign your joint and then you're good. You're standing straight. They don't have to cut what's sticking out. So that's the best way I can describe uh, the bunion, the minimally invasive bunion procedure. Because really, if you're properly correcting for rotation in the first metatarsal and any pronation, then you, you shouldn't need to actually make any adjustments to the bone, right? So basically what you're doing, you're cutting the, the distal one-third of the shaft basically closer to the joint, mm -hmm. uh, which is usually uh, the chevron cut is performed in this area, which is the head-neck junction. And uh, there's a transverse cut in that area, and then you're basically shifting it completely lateral, trying to realign the joint and trying to get your uh, intermetatarsal angle back to normal. Mm -hmm. So once you perform that and you, you accomplish that, there is no need for you to cut anything else out of the foot uh, once, once the joint is realigned, that's correct. Gotcha. And how long does your procedure take? It's interesting, we just had a challenge in the operating room and I had asked my anesthesiologist, my scrubtic and my nurse, and I said, you guys, you know, I want to just give me a time and then mm -hmm. we'll start the clock. Uh, by no means do I had to rush through it or basically do anything that I do differently. I said, I just want you guys to guess how much, how long it would take. It took me about 15 minutes. It's somewhere between 15 wow. to 17 minutes when, from the time I start to the time that I close. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it can be very quick, but at the same time, I can tell you that if, um, if someone is not used to performing the surgery, it can actually take longer than a traditional bunion surgery because you're not really looking at anything. Sure. You're just basically looking at the live x-ray, fluoroscopy, and a lot of tactile uh, sensation of, you know, where you're putting everything. And 
at this point, after doing it for six years, it takes me, you know, 15 to 17 minutes. But I think if you're just starting, uh, it would take you a little longer to kind of get a hang of it. And have you thought about, uh, you know, now that this procedure is trademarked and you've sort of perfected it for yourself, have you thought about teaching others or making it available in some wider form? Of course. So uh, I've lectured at multiple seminars and um, I just feel like lecturing is not enough. People can sit there and even experienced surgeons can sit there and listen to a lecture, but you have to really have a hands-on workshop. And um, there are some companies out there that have come up with some system, but their system is not good at this point. They're just basically a burr system to cut the bone and two screws and it's not basically teaching the surgeons how to do it. So I'm in the process of developing something. I'm working with a company. I'm not allowed to disclose anything yet, but we're, we're sure. working on a, a system, a complete system, let's put it this way, where any surgeon with any kind of a background or experience can do, can perform the surgery and be successful at it. And it could be repeated by, by others. It's, it's, we're trying to make it very easy. So well, that's still in the works. So. Well, that's something that we'll definitely have to be on the lookout for. Sure. So you have uh, invested in in a lot of tools and technology uh, at your surgery center, which is beautiful, by the way. Um, we'll include a, a link in the show notes to your website, but it's it's a really architecturally beautiful building that you have there, uh, the glass art inside and, and the shape of the building outside. It's its beautiful. But uh, you, one of the things that you've invested in is weight-bearing CT imaging. What part does weight-bearing CT imaging play in uh, the Amy procedure? How do you utilize that when you're planning your bunion corrections? Uh, all my patients, anyone who's going under the knife, let's put it this way, in my surgery center, uh, gets this weight-bearing CT. I I've uh, acquired that about three years ago, I believe, three, three and a half years, years ago. I felt like that just a uh, 2D regular x-ray wasn't good enough for me to uh, assess everything that I wanted to assess. And also, it, it would take a little longer for me to obtain the images that I wanted. Just, I mean, just for, for example, when I just click on that um, the x-ray, I think it gives you like nine or 12 views. Just when you scan someone for 30 seconds and then I go in there and I look at every single view that I would want in a, in a perfectly shot, like it's perfectly shot. And it's like, let's say your medial oblique, your lateral oblique, your, your hind foot views, like all those things It would take probably about just 10 minutes to take those, to those shots uh, by regular x-ray and, and then I upload it and all that stuff. But I feel like, first of all, it, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, mm -hmm. For me to get every any shot that I want, and the patient is standing and it's weight bearing. I'm also able to be able to manipulate the 3D and go maybe like under the foot, look at the position of the sesamoids, uh, look at the condition of the joint, and also see if there's any arthritis on the medial side of the basically metatarsal head or mm -hmm. versus lateral side. Is there any? Is there any uh, bone spurs that I can see that it's uh, maybe limiting the patient's range of motion? And so basically, I I get all that information with a twenty second scan, and uh, to me that it was worth uh, the investment. Let's put it this way: it also makes me look good. 
<laughs> uh, you know, we live in a we live in a, a world that uh, people want to see technology. People want to see that you're on top of your game. Mm-hmm. And when they come and um, we scan them, and they and I and I always make sure I take my patients to the computer and show them. And mm-hmm. every single patient that I show this to, they they they're they're basically wowed. They're like, mm-hmm. oh my god, wow, this is my foot. And sorry to say, it, but it does kind of give you credibility. You could be the best surgeon, but if you don't present yourself well if you don't have a nice office you don't have nice staff you don't have nice furniture and your environment is it doesn't represent you you could be the the greatest surgeon and and people do look at all those things so i wanted to have everything at my disposal to be able to make better decision but at the same time be able to tell my patients that i'm on top of my game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that has um added a lot of benefits um, clinically and aesthetically, and also, uh, like I said, uh, about having the credibility when the patients walk into the door. Absolutely. And I'll just quickly explain for our listeners who might not be familiar, the tool that you were describing is what we have branded as InstaX. Uh, they're com- yeah. yep. They're commonly known as digitally reconstructed radiographs. And uh, what that feature does is it takes your CT scan and it automatically creates uh, all of your standard x-ray views from that CT scan. So you have simulated x-rays from the original scan. And, and like uh, you described, Dr. Kosorabadi, you can basically get uh, any view that you desire. It's, it's We really leave it up to our surgeons to dictate what they need and then our engineers in the background, just program that view. Uh, and then that's available after every single scan. Like you mentioned, you just click over to a different tab and you have those InstaX views uh, for every single CT scan. Correct. So uh, I'm glad you find that helpful. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> so can you describe, because your weight-bearing CT scanner is actually in your ambulatory surgery center and you don't have a traditional podiatric practice anymore. What is the typical workflow? When are they getting the scan and how is the consultation happening? Like at what point before surgery are you looking at the scan, reviewing the scan, coming up with your surgical plan and then heading into surgery? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, most insurance companies require you to have a uh, basically pre-authorization to getting any kind of a CT scan MRI. There's few that are not... Uh, requiring that but Mm -hmm. most of them do so when the patients come in for the first time we have a very tight system so like let's say today you were you picked up the phone or you went online and you wanted to see me for your bunion Uh, we have a patient care coordinator whose job is just to uh, reach out to the patients and she basically makes sure that the patients fill out the right application if they have x-rays she'll have them send us their x-rays if not if they're out of town, they go get x-rays and that's the results. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get kind of basically uh, pre-qualified to be able to see me. So, but once that's done and the patient comes and sees me for the first time, whether in person, all of them get to see me in person prior to surgery, but there are some that they see me on Skype, especially nowadays. Sure. And I uh, do my consultation, but they usually see me about two to three days, sometimes a week prior to surgery. And that's the time that I do the CT scan. So you're not doing any plain x-rays at all in your practice? I do have plain x-rays. I take that uh, from time to time. There are times that I take the plain x-rays too, but um, most often 
I take both. So then um, you do the CT scan in the initial consultation and then... So yeah, um, when I see the patient in, in person, then uh, they, they come in, they get the CT scan done before I even see the patient. So and then I go and uh, review the CT scan. I'll go see the patient, examine the patient, and I go back with the patient in the viewing room and uh, we go over the CT scan and uh, discuss surgery and, and anything else that need, needs to be discussed. Okay. Okay. And then you'll schedule surgery after then that. Then we schedule surgery after that. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for walking me through that workflow. I appreciate it. Of course. And you, you talked a little bit about, you know, how it's important to present yourself and your practice in a certain way. And, you know, that's sort of a, a basic business principle. So transitioning a little bit to the business side of your practice, can you give us some insights on the process of opening up a dedicated podiatric ambulatory surgery center. You opened that up a, a couple years ago, if, if I'm not mistaken. Can you just describe that entire process for us? Yeah, so um, I opened that up about four years ago to be exact. And um, I, like any other surgeon, was going to different surgery centers and you know uh, hospitals. And that's what I was basically spending my time. And, and as I got more... Uh, basically well-known with my procedures. I mean, besides the any binding procedure, I also do a lot of club foot surgeries and also deformity corrections. And one of the big one is the breaking metatarsal. I do a lot of metatarsal lengthening. So I'm, I started becoming more and more involved in that patient population. And I started noticing that I can basically have my own place so I can schedule my own patients, have kind of be my own boss. I don't have to go to the hospital and spend you know, all day to do two surgeries because you get mm -hmm. you get bumped by, or, you know, uh, trauma or this and that, and they're always late. And so I started looking into opening up an ambulatory surgery center. Um, what and then I started the process. What I opened up, it's not just a podiatric. Uh, maybe that's um, I think that was a misconception. But my surgery center is a multi-specialty surgery center, so we do all the other surgeries. Obviously, I'm not doing it, but, you know, we have an ENT specialist, we have GI, general surgery. So we do everything, um, but okay. it's mostly used by me uh, because I'm the busy, busiest surgeon there. But uh, we do have it uh, for other speci specialties. I, I don't even know if you can just opt for that, but we went through Joint Commission, um, which is the agency that uh, certifies hospitals and other surgery centers. Um, so we went through joint commission. I think there's two other agencies, AAA, HC, and there was another one. I'm not sure, but those are all nationally known. But joint commission is most likely the hardest one. Most hospitals go through a joint commission. So once you find the place and um, you decide that's what you want to do, you have to send, you know, just start an application with a joint commission. And they'll basically tell you um, what, what's needed. And then you normally the best way is to hire a consultant because that's very important. You want to do it on your own. Um, you're going to spend a lot of money and you're going to be basically not doing it right. Especially if you're building one, it's best to have a consultant because um, the rooms, the how they're situated, the flow, um, all the HVAC system, positive pressure, negative pressure, your uh, backup battery system, uh, anything that needs to be wired to that system. And so the whole thing and how many bathrooms you have to have, um, the bathrooms should have like alarm systems and they, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a lot that goes mm -hmm. into it. So if you're building one, 
from scratch or you, you're renting a you know space and you're going to start one, it's best to look for a consultant in your area that has done this maybe for a few years and has done has worked with uh, Medicare certification and joint commission certification so they can get involved from the beginning so that way you're not wasting any money. So that way the engineering from the beginning, which the rooms, the, the construction, everything goes according to the plan because mm -hmm. there are some strict criterias, um, like, like I was mentioning about the, the airflow system, you know, which mm -hmm. area has to be positive airflow, which area has to be negative airflow for infection control, and uh, where your dirty room should be, where your clean room is, where your autoclave room should be, and all has to be very um, by the book, let's say. Let's say. Mm -hmm. So you want to hire someone like that. And then once you start the process, um, they will uh, send you a surveyor who's going to come and survey the area and they're going to allow you to start uh, operating. And then after, I think, 12 to 15 cases, they will come back and do another survey. So first they come and make sure that everything is safe and they allow you to start um, your process. And then you do 12 to 15 cases and then they're going to come back and see how you did those 12 cases. Did you follow all the uh, basically rules and, and did, you, um, did you have everything in place and all the, your infection control and they're very big on infection control and, and tracing, tracing anything that has to be traceable, everything has to be traceable. So, and then they come back and they survey you again. Um, they probably also watch one or two surgeries while they're there. Um, they want you to schedule a couple of surgeries while they're there so they can actually physically watch everyone doing their job. Mm -hmm. And then it's pretty stressful for two days. So uh, after that, then you get your certification and then you can um, then you can start doing more cases mm -hmm. and then you can apply for your Medicare, which is another big one. Mm -hmm. And then every three years, you're going to go through the same same process. But every every three years, it gets a little harder because then you have to have more um, things to dig for because you've done like hundreds of cases and they can just look into it. But as long as you have a consultant and you have good protocol and system and you follow all the you know rules and regulations and protocol, all your safety features and you know all, all your um, inspections and like all that stuff, then you should be good every three years. So it sounds like it is a a bit of a commitment. It is quite a lot of work and, and probably a big investment. However, the quality of life returns and having the ability to set your own schedule and not being tied to the rules or or uh, parameters of a health system uh, are definitely worth it. But it, it's not it's not an undertaking that should be taken lightly. It will be quite a project. Uh, so if if someone else, if there's another surgeon out there who's thinking about doing this, they should be prepared for that. Exactly. And um, uh, for the past 10 years, it's been very difficult to get on any insurance plans as a ambulatory surgery center. So um, most likely you will be out of network for a while, which is, which is the goal for a small surgery center like us. Like we're completely out of network and I actually wanted it that way because that way I don't have any contract. Then... But then at the same time, you are limiting yourself to those insurance companies, to, to those insurance plans that have out-of-network benefits. Sure. So, you know, so it's, a, it's a bit of a give and take. So pros and cons, you, you're taking a selected few 
but the selected few probably pay more than the the, the other ones. But uh, so it's it's a lot that goes into it. It's uh, it's a, quite an undertaking for sure, and it, it needs it needs a lot of thinking. And you have to be a let's put it this way: the best advice I can give you, if you're gonna open it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Or like you and your partner, or a couple other people, make sure you guys are busy. Mm-hmm. You, if you're only operating a few times a month, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna pan out well for you unless you have other people coming and operating. So if I waited till I was very busy myself, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just trying to only bank on myself. I said I'm gonna build it, and if no one else comes here, I'm still be able to uh, bring my cases here and, and be able to survive and 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 uh, be profitable. So. That's the best advice I can give you. I was watching your Instagram story this morning. You did a feature where, you know, uh, follow me around in surgery day. And, and, you know, you could see that it was back to back to back. What, how many surgeries are you performing on average in a week? So in one day, I usually don't go over six. Um, I think it becomes very stressful in one room (laughs) um, because (laughs) we're just running in one room. If, If I had two rooms running, I'd probably be able to do more, but right now we're only running one room. So yeah, six is my maximum. So I would say a six a week is what we do. There are times that we do four, obviously, uh, but um, yeah, I don't go over six. So, um, so somewhere between four to six a week. And um, if that gets busy, then we open up or uh, open up either the second room or we open up another day. And, uh, you know, the headlines, one of the, major headlines that you're seeing during COVID-19 are hospitals are closing off to elective surgery. And I think probably Bundyan surgery could easily fall under the elective surgery category, although it's very easy to argue that if you have a severe hallux valgus case, you're in a lot of pain. Um, and you're the there's a trend in, in orthopedics in general that we're seeing a shift to ASCs. Have you seen that trend at all reflected in your practice? Are you picking up more cases because people either don't want to go to a hospital right now or can't go to a hospital? How, how has that affected your business? It's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, that's probably bringing some people to the surgery centers, but at the same time, not a lot of people want to have surgery during uh, during COVID because they don't want to expose themselves to other people. They don't want to go anywhere that other patients have been. Um, most of my patients, I want to say 60 to 70% of my patients are from out of town, like from out of state or even out of country. So there's a decreased number of those because people don't want to travel. But at the same time, my numbers kind of stayed the same. So I feel like they're both kind of playing a role. People who are uh, you know wanting to go to the hospital are... They can't have the surgery done, done, done there because of COVID. They're coming to us, but then the patients who uh, would usually normally travel to me and have surgeries, they're not traveling to me. So I think my numbers kind of stayed the same. It hasn't been any increase or decrease because of those reasons. That makes sense. Have there been any benefits to having the weight-bearing CT in office? If you did not have that and you needed to send your patients out for imaging in COVID, uh, you know, are patients searching you out specifically because you you are a one-stop shop and you have imaging? Any comments you can make there? So, yeah, I mean, um, like I said at the beginning, I, um, I'm the type of doctor who wants to see, even when, you, even when I was sending my patients out for imaging, I would want to see the images myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has helped me, even though, yes, you do get to see these back and you could still 
But uh, for some reason, this is kind of like my toy, you know, ins and outs, uh, everything. Uh, I know everything about this, this unit. So it is easier and um, they don't have to make an appointment to go somewhere else and come back and, you know, go get a CT scan and then come back next week. It's like it avoids all those extra trips. I want to be able to provide everything that the patient needs and be able to be done with it. You know, I've done, I've done the same investment for my ultrasound. So. Uh, it has helped me to, like you said, be a one-stop shop. I don't have to send my patients around just to get a CT and come back next week. But then um, also I'm, I'm able to, to uh, manipulate the images the way I want because it's, uh, it's very easy. And I've talked to the engineers multiple times and I've tweaked it to exactly how I want my views and images. And it makes it a lot easier and I can e immediately show the patients what, what, I, what I would be doing or if I found something. And, so it has definitely made it a lot easier. I always tell my patients, like, you know, that's that's my Lamborghini in there. <laughs> that's how much it costs. <laughs> you know, some people choose to buy a Lamborghini, and that's mine. <laughs> well, well, that's great. We'll, we'll have to uh, maybe put some racing stripes or something on it for you. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, transitioning back again to the business side of things, you've been able to start this ambulatory surgery center serving multiple specialties where how do you see your practice evolving in the next five or ten years because you know business people like you are always thinking ahead so what is the next step for you i know how did you know that's <laughs> what so my wife says my wife says like is there like you always come up with a project and like when that one is not even finished you jump into another project <laughs> But um, yeah, that's how we always think. Well, you know, us entrepreneurs are always, you know, thriving and always uh, uh, trying to climb that ladder. My five-year plan—it's—it's—it's it's, it's interesting because that—that's why I always ask people. Like, mm -hmm. if I hire someone, like, what's your five-year plan? So now you're mm -hmm. asking me. Yeah. So three years ago, I my plan was I'm gonna completely come out of general podiatry i'm going to only be up uh, just being a surgeon because that's what i enjoyed the most and i'm i'm saying that not because it's such a cliche thing to say but i honestly like could, i could be in the or from 6 a.m to like midnight you know not eating anything not drinking anything and i still can be performing and be happy coming home i really in, find enjoyment in the or i'm a fixer and I've always been like that since I was a little kid. My dad was, you know, very handy. And we always, even now, we always, if you follow me on Instagram, I, we always do projects at home. And I love to work with my hands and I like to build things. So uh, it's fun for me to be in the art. But um, again, podiatry has been great to me. Mm -hmm. And I did general podiatry for um, since uh, 2007. So I did, yeah, about 12 years. Well, yeah, I did general podiatry about 10, 10 and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm, I'm going to just start leaving general podiatry. And I had three clinics with uh, three doctors plus me. And then I started basically not seeing any general podiatry patients. And I, I was only seeing my own surgical patients. And, and it took me about three years to completely get out, meaning mm -hmm. get out of podiatry, general podiatry, still a podiatrist, obviously. And um, let go of just the day-to-day -day, uh, foot and ankle stuff, meaning like wound care, nail issues, you know, uh, sprains and plantar fasciitis and all the general podiatry stuff that my colleagues do. And they do a great, amazing job at it. And I, and I it, like I said, podiatry was good to me. But 
that was my three-year goal and I reached it just uh, six months ago. I basically sold um, my foot and ankle clinics and I'm basically just back at my surgery center and mm-hmm. at the Costa Body Institute and all I do is uh, surgical procedures and if you call a, you know, with a plantar fasciitis, we, we, we basically tell you that we can't help you. We will send you to some of our friends that are around here. So that was my three-year plan, which I reached uh, six months ago. And now my five-year plan would be, um, I want to basically, okay, so one thing would be, I want to definitely create uh, the, the bunion system, the mm-hmm. minimally invasive bunion system. I want to make it available to everyone so that way. Any, any podiatrist, any foot and ankle surgeon can just use the system that I created and be able to, to perform this minimally invasive bunion procedure. And I, when I say that, it's, it's not because, you know, it's, it's my thing to do, but I see the benefits. I see the benefits in patients. More more surgical procedures are going towards minimally invasive, not because it's cool, but because patients benefit from it. Mm-hmm. I was telling my patients 30 years ago, if you had to remove your gallbladder, you would have a, you know, eight inch scar and you would be in the hospital for two days. But now you go and they take it out and you go home. So why not apply that to anything that we can? I'm not saying you can do minimally invasive heart transplant, but if we can't perform the bunion procedure without opening it and disrupting all the tissues and the blood vessels and um, destabilized area, and you can perform your procedure, move it, put your screws in there and, and get out in 15 to 17 minutes. And the patients can walk on it the next day and think that you're a miracle worker and they heal a lot quicker and they, they don't have to abandon their job. And I mean, all that, all those benefits are there. So why not provide that to, to more patients? Because I'm only one guy and there's a couple of other uh, financial surgeons around the country that are doing minimally invasive too, but it's only a handful of us right now. So, um, so that's an, uh, definitely one of my five-year, you know, five-year goals to 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 reach. As far as my business, um, I'm pretty much on on track with what I want to do. I I want to definitely grow my community, uh, meaning my um, my as far as you know, patient-wise, and my community of minimally invasive people that are around me, uh, surgeons, definitely a couple of articles that are past due. <laughs> I want to <laughs> get those done. So hopefully I can uh, work with the, you know, a couple of residents to get those things done. One of them is actually on the curve beam where we're studying uh, the sesamoidal position uh, before and after surgery, uh, before and after minimally invasive surgery, which is something that you can only do with curve beam. I mean, you can do it with the 2D x-ray, but with the uh, 3D CT scan, you can easily see the positioning and we're, we're working on that. And also the metatarsal metatarsal joints that uh, people are fusing right now, we're, I'm studying that too, to see if there is any changes in those. Again, with the CT scan, because I can slice it all the way down to the tarsal metatarsal joint and see the shape of that joint and see if there was any changes like maybe after the procedure, a couple of years after the procedure. So those are pretty much my my work plans. Um, if that's what you were going for. I don't know if you were talking about personal or just a work. That sounds like a, a lot in the work <laughs> arena, but uh, and it sounds great. Uh, but sure, anything on the personal side that you want to share as well, the goals that you have? You know, for me, it's always been about, um, you know, mind and body. And I have uh, dug into it more and more. I've, I've started a channel called Life Limb Fitness. 
which is um, my channel, like my personal channel about like what my life is and my um, little bit of my work and also um, my fitness. And five years ago, I started getting into fitness a lot more seriously. I've always worked out, but I, I said, I'm 45 now and I'm going to, in five years, I'm going to look the best I've ever looked. And, and um, I turned just 50 in December and uh, I have reached that goal. And um, awesome. I, I want to continue that. I want to definitely grow my life limb fitness channel and be able to get my, uh, my message out about what life has to offer. Uh, but, uh, you know, fitness doesn't know any numbers in age. So the, those are the right messages that I want to grow that community. So that's a, a, on a personal level. And where is that channel? Is that on YouTube? It's uh, it's both on YouTube and Instagram. Um, yeah, it's called Life Land Fitness. Wonderful. Yeah, that's definitely one to to watch and look out for. Sure. Yeah, this this has been really great. If if there are people listening to this who are interested in connecting with you, whether it's to learn more about Amy or um, looking for advice, uh, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? My uh, our website. We've we've had few websites that we have to. We had just combined them together just recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Castro Body Institute, if you Google that, she should come up with, um, uh, come up on our channel, uh, either the Instagram or the website or the YouTube, uh, it all under Castro Body Institute. So um, all my information is there. If you need to you know, DM me or you know, send me an email, um, everything is on that website as far as the social media and just direct contact. Actually, I've had health a couple of surgeons around the country who've called me and um, just recently um, one of the surgeons that found me on Facebook, she, he called me and wanted my help on uh, metatarsal lengthening, uh, one stage lengthening because I perform both. I do a one stage lengthening and I also do gradual lengthening and he wanted more information on the one stage because he had a patient coming up and I, I picked up the phone for the first time talking to him and I um, basically uh, showed him and uh, guide him how how to do it and what to watch out for. And, um, and, and then later on, he sent me an email with the pictures and the x-rays and he, he was very happy. So I'm, I'm available to help anyone because I think at the end, uh, I will be helping the patients out there. So I'm not, um, I'm not here to uh, you know, hold back on information. I'm very open to share, teach, and um, help anyone that uh, uh, needs to pick my brain. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today. We learned so much. I hope we can have you on the podcast again in the future, maybe once your uh, procedure is commercialized to chat with you again. Um, And for our listeners out there, remember to subscribe to Curve Beam Connect on Apple and Spotify. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you again, Dr. Kosrabadi. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me.